This episode was sponsored by Critical Dice and the Endless Bag of Dice. Welcome to the Compendium, a resource designed to help you spend less time learning D&D and more time actually playing. Welcome back to another episode of The Compendium. I'm super excited about this week because we are continuing our discussion on classes, but we're actually going to dive head on into the world of magic with this episode. And we decided to go classic and do OG, go with the wizard. Um, It's one of the original uh, classes for D&D. It's been around ever since the beginning. And it's a very well-known class in general from fantasy literature and everything. Uh, But it's also one of the most loved, I think. It and is. so it's a great place to start introducing people into if you want to play a caster, here's kind of what you're looking at. Yeah, exactly. And wizards are awesome. I mean, if you need a way of contextualizing them, uh, they are w- magical Ivy League graduates. That's what they are. Um, and interesting fun fact, you're right. Wizards go wake all the way back to the beginning, but not the very beginning. I think in the original Dungeons and Dragons, they were just called magic users. And then you could further differentiate what kind of magic user. So oh, okay. like sneaky. Most yeah, like most things, you go back to the 70s and things get buck wild. But yeah, wizards are great and probably the most iconic of all of the uh D D classes for sure. Right. I do want to spend a little bit of time up front clarifying what we mean when we say wizard within the confines of D&D, because they are such a well-known like thing, if you will, mm-hmm. that they how they're presented has a lot of different um, uh, aspects, depending on the literature from the movie, from different things. So biggest example for me, Harry Potter, right? You're a wizard, Harry. Like it's right. it's laid out for you. But in D&D world, Harry's not a wizard. No, he's and a sorcerer. So, right. And so let's maybe like unpack just a little bit about what exactly is a wizard in the world of D&D and how might that conflict with some existing understanding about that term wizard and what it means from other sources. Right. So what it means to be a wizard in D&D is two things, really, is that they are an intelligent, inclined class. And what they know and what they could do, just about anyone could do it with enough study and with the aptitude for that study. And so you could have someone who just never went to school, you know, grew up in like one of those barbarian cultures we talked about before. But if they had the aptitude that is a intelligence of 13 or higher and they spent time studying these spells and studying the books and and going through some of the training that wizards go through, they could become a wizard. Um, and the way that's different than like your Harry Potter example, which is a really good one, is according to that lore, you have to be of a certain family or in deity terms, bloodline in order mm-hmm. to be a wizard. Yes, there's still some study going on, but if you don't have that innate spark, you don't have that innate spark. And in D&D, that's just not the case. Just about anyone could potentially become a wizard through time and study. Right. And I I liked your example of like thinking about it in terms of college conceptually, Mm -hmm. right? Um, You know, if you take out the politics of money and all of that stuff, anyone could go to college, anyone could go to school. Some people do, some people don't, but it's accessible to everyone. There's not really this divide in that respect of like, no, it's it's not possible for you to do this thing. Um, Whereas in Harry Potter, there is that divide of these are muggles. 
these are magic users, right? There's right. a clear divide. One cannot be the other. Um, and it creates like angst and problems. And so right. that's really a really good way of looking at it is college of like, hey, do you want to learn this? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I was thinking about like, like how to classify kind of shorthand the five different arcane spellcasters in D&D. And, um, you know, so we've talked about this before, but like wizards are, you know, fantasy Ivy League graduates. Sorcerers are arcane trust fund kids. Um, they inherited it, right? Uh, bards are mystic motivational speakers. Uh, warlocks are eldritch sugar babies. You know, they they have a sponsor, basically. And then with the newest class we have, which is uh, the Artificer, they're basically just fantasy STEM enthusiasts uh, that are taking Clark's third law, like, to heart you know any sufficiently advanced civilization is indistinguishable for magic from magic that's kind of what they're doing so uh that's kind of like the quick rundown of all the arcade spellcasters right and uh, i'd encourage people too as we're delving into some of this to refer back to some of our early 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 episodes early. actually uh episode one i think is where we do like an overview of class breakdown and kind of talk about the difference yeah. between some of the different magical classes uh, versus martial classes so if you want a little more detail on that refer back to that first episode we've got it all laid out for you this episode we want to deep dive into specifically wizards and the mechanics that you get by playing one yeah exactly so let's look at, you know, how, like, let's look at the conceptual background of a wizard, not background in the official terms of D&D having a background for your character, but where do wizards grow up? If you're writing this backstory for your character, what can you expect from them? What was their history up until this point? And what was their, you know, possible calls to adventure? What would encourage somebody of the literary uh, kind of focus to go out and sleep on the forest floor instead of just spend their days lounging in a leather chair in a library reading books. Yeah, I mean, I think that the main gear that drives a wizard is the search for arcane knowledge, right? There's only so many known magical secrets in the world and they are on a quest a personal quest of uh, somewhat of, of self-improvement with a magical bend that they know that there are more things out there to know and to learn and to, to discover or uncover um, that may have been lost to the centuries because wizards essentially are they're almost like magical like hackers like coders and they are all about messing with the source code of reality and if they just learned the right programming language or learned a new kind of script or algorithm they could do more things and so they are driven by this lust for knowledge and uh whether that means going out and finding scrolls that they didn't have access to or, or spell books they didn't have access to or uncovering lost arcane knowledge this is typically what's going to motivate most wizards to go join up with a bunch of uh fighters and monks and thieves and clerics to go and you know discover the world yeah they can save people as well but they also want to figure out what's in that long forgotten tomb right and like, as you were talking going back to your idea that they're you know just kind of like college 
like I believe college graduates, uh, it reminds me of like doctoral candidates, mm -hmm. right? People that are going out, they're having to do research, they're in the field of the topic that they're particularly pursuing. Like they're not just sitting in a library, they have to go out and like do, I don't wanna yeah. say experiments, but kind of along that lines where they're having to get actual data to support their thesis on how this thing works and why it works that way. So I feel like, and it makes a lot of sense because you have to study a lot to become a wizard and tap into the weave. And yeah. so it's like that level, almost like a PhD level of it is. study. Yeah. And I think both of us have many friends who have pursued higher academics and gotten their PhDs or masters and things. And oftentimes they'll spend a year or a semester abroad. Like if they're in architecture, they're going to go to Europe. And they're going to actually go and look at and sketch and touch these famous pieces of architecture in these buildings. Or if they're searching, you know, Greek mythology, they're going to go to Greece. They're going to see the landscape. They're going to go all the places these stories are set in to really get some more of that knowledge. And for Wizard, it's much the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And usually I think like that could easily be your, your, um, your adventure hook for your wizard yeah. if you're developing one, right? Like you were obsessed with your studies, you liked your books, but then maybe there was missing pages from a manual or maybe a mm -hmm. book that you have references another book that was rumored to be lost somewhere. Or, you know, like there, there's these different things where you're like, okay, well, it's time for me to, to go and try to find this lost book and I'll probably do some shenanigans along the way, but my goal is to get this information or try to tap into the weave a little bit more more deeply. Yeah, exactly. And I think also, too, there is sometimes an assumed element of pride or just um, self-import uh, that wizards can typically have. And it can also get into the politics of wizards, too, where like they want the renown. They want that place in that, you know, high circle of eight wizards that kind of run all of the wizards in the world or whatever, that they want to be part of that. But they can't do that until they've put it in your words, you know, prove their thesis unless they've uncovered this lost thing. And so there can also be this kind of uh, political or uh, social ranking thing wrapped up in that as well. It's almost that joke of, listen, I didn't go to school for eight years to be called Mr. I'm a doctor, you know, so. <laughs> right. On that too, like that's another thing that I think stood out to me, broke a little bit of a stereotype with a wizard in the, the information in the player's handbook about wizards is that they're very social very, very social, right? I think of wizards and you have that that stereotypical like wizard's tower in the middle of nowhere where they're far up in the keep with their nose stuck in a book all alone, like hermit style. But that's not actually common or normal because in order to learn, you have to learn from other people or get sources of information from other people. Um, and so they're actually, they're very social, right? That makes sense that they'd wanna go out and prove themselves to the masses because that's that flows into that idea of the pursuit of knowledge. Yeah, exactly. And I think that stereotype that you're referring to comes about when someone oftentimes has gone a little, you know, where they've fixated on one specific thing and they've locked themselves away to figure out this single secret. And typically maybe at the end of their career, or perhaps they're searching for the key to lichdom because everyone else is quitters and I'm going to find, you know, immortality, you know? Uh, so there's that element too, but I think you're right on, on balance. I think most wizards are going to be out and interacting in the world uh, for a variety of, of common reasons. 
So let's look at what a level one wizard build is going to be. Um, they're significantly different than any of the classes we've talked about up until this yeah. point, any of the, the martial uh, or the half casters. There's a big difference in where you're going to stat your highest numbers and your lowest numbers, what they get. Uh, so let's unpack a little bit about what you get with a level one wizard and why it's presented that way compared to a lot of the other builds that we've seen up until this point. Yeah, sure. So they have the lowest hit dice of anybody in the game, a D6. In second edition, it was a D4. Oh, no. <laughs> and and you didn't start with it max. You just rolled it and added any constitution bonus you might have, and you typically didn't. That was it. Oh, yeah. Like, that's why you see all the memes about just spraying a strong garden hose against an original wizard, and they die. Um you to keep in mind, daggers do a D4 plus decks of damage, right? So they start out with six hit points plus a con modifier if they have it, and then a D6 plus con for every extra level. Arm proficiencies, none. Tools, none. Weapons, daggers, darts, slings, quarterstaffs, and light crossbows. So the most basic of weapons, the light crossbow is like the only like bone they get thrown. Yeah, I didn't actually realize they could even use like crossbows because i feel like in my perception of what wizards could do i'm like oh that's actually that's not nothing <laughs> it's not nothing as... but it's close yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so and that's because they are going to rely on their spells right uh their saving throws are going to be intelligence and wisdom and then they can choose two skills from arcana history insight investigation medicine and religion again i think all if not most of these are intelligence-based skills. Um, and then they can start out with a quarterstaff or a dagger, a component pouch or arcane focus, scholar's pack or explorer's pack, and a spell book. Um, definitely, I don't know. I always go explorer's pack, but I feel like that's still applicable in this scenario. Because if you look up the scholar's pack, I mean, not that pen and paper doesn't help, but that's like 90% of what you get in the scholars pack, right? You're you're going to get a backpack, a book of lore, unsurprisingly, they probably already have books, a bottle of ink, a pen, mm -hmm. parchment, a tiny bag of sand and a tiny knife. <laughs> and like, that's That's it. great, yeah. but no. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's not a lot. It is not a lot. Um yeah, it's yeah, a bag of sand, like what is that about? Like I think that actually might be similar to like back in the day when you had to use like quill and ink to write on things and you put salt on it to kind of so it wouldn't smudge i think that might be that, yeah yeah uh so yeah um but yeah so that's kind of what they get to start out with it's not a lot but they're getting spells and cantrips right off the bat uh which is going to kind of take the place of a lot of things that are missing here um they um we'll talk about like the spell book and like how they uh, learn and prepare spells because uh, it gets a little uh, buck wild uh, and, and kind of in depth but um, that's basically what they're going to get at first level as in addition to arcane recovery which is kind of cool so basically whenever they take a short rest uh, they can gain back some missing spell slots which again shows you how important those spell slots are to this uh, class and uh, so basically you take your uh, wizard level cut it in half round up for any fractions and that's how many spell slots that you can get so wizards, 
Everything mm-hmm. else is rounded down. Yes. Why are we rounding up? <laughs> because ge- specific beats general in 5e, and it says it in the first couple pages of the book. So typically you will always round down unless specifically calls out. This is one of those rare cases. And here's why, because if it was half your wizard level rounded down and you get this at level one, how many spell slots do you get back? Zero. Big old goose egg, exactly. But rounded up, you get one. And at level two, you get you get one you get one um it's still it's still one it's still one yeah <laughs> so every other level you gain one back and so you could use that if you get like two spell slots worth you would either recover two first level spell slots or one second level spell slot just as long as you don't do anything sixth level or higher even at your highest levels so right. uh, those and- those high level slots are gone when you use them Right. And as like another aside here, we did we did an entire episode just on magic as well. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about some of these things, if you're not really sure what we're talking about with spell slots, some of that go back reference episode five, all of the little individual episodes on that are all dedicated towards magic, casting, the different types of things. And so make sure you go back because we're not going to deep dive into the mechanics here since we've already done that before. Yes, exactly. So that's other than what we talked about with the spell book and learning spells and things, that's kind of what they get. Uh, You know, they get to start off with uh, six spells and uh, I think three cantrips uh, and they get two spell slots to start off with. So as far as like what you get at first level compared to some of the other things we've looked at, like monks and paladins, I think specifically, you don't get a lot like a first level wizard. If you can survive the second level, you're going to be fine, but not everyone does, especially back in the day. So that's it for yeah. first level. Wizards are super squishy. And that's one of the reason why the martial classes I think are so buffed is because they're kind of there to help protect the little caster friends in the party mm-hmm. because one hit and you could be dead <laughs> they're super done yeah like i mean to make it like football like your martial classes are your defensive linemen and what's funny is that the wizard isn't even the quarterback they're the kicker like they're <laughs> special teams like they have one thing they got one trick it's great it can change the game but man don't let them get tackled they're not ready for that right uh so yeah squishy little wizard um Let's spend a little bit of time talking about their spell book. Sure. Because magic is sourced different ways for different classes. For wizards, it's specifically the spell book. And there's a lot of unique things about the spell book, how you have to use it, how it can be used, what it does. Um, And I think clarifying all of that would be a really helpful thing to do, especially for people who have never played a caster. Um, right. to understand what it means when they have a spell book with them. Like, what what is that? Why does it matter? Yeah. Is it just for fun? No, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, so it's very similar to um, how clerics are, where they clerics have access to every cleric spell that they're level appropriate for. Just every day they choose which ones they're going to pick. A wizard is very similar in that sense that they have a repertoire of spells in their spell book. And every day they can choose the ones they want to have loaded up, right? Like they're going to kit out what they want for that day. But the downside is, is if they were to lose that spell book, they don't need to use it to replenish their spells like prayer with a cleric. But if they ever wanted to change them out, if they lose that spell book, they can't. They have to make an all new spell book. 
Um, and that's where everything kind of lives. And so don't get this idea that if you steal a wizard spellbook, they can't cast spells. That's not the case. Arcane focus, maybe. But this is how they can modify that repertoire of spells for that day. So they have something that is basically spells that you know, that's in the book, and spells that are prepared. The ones that you have loaded into your arcane pistol for ready for the day. Um, so at first level, they start out with three cantrips and six first level spells. Now, you'll notice they only have two first level spell slots. That's because they're trying to give you options. And so basically you can, at the beginning of the day, a wizard can open up their spell book, look at those six first level spells they know, and they can prepare a number of spells equal to their intelligence modifier plus their wizard level, minimum okay. one. So if they have an intelligence of 16, that's a modifier of three first level wizard. So they can prepare four of those first level spells out of the six that they know, but they can only cast two of them in a day because they only have two slots until they do their arcane recovery at a, at a short rest and get one back. So it's a kind of a funnel of options and uh, you just kind of have to be clever and uh, ready to know what you're talking about, I guess, you know, so. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think that hearkening back and keeping with the same kind of metaphor line of education, college, school, right? Mm -hmm. It reminded me, and maybe I was the only one that did this, but it reminded me of the binder that I had in college of like uh -huh. for each semester. And then it, when it was like finals time, I had index cards that were my study cards about what was going to be on that final. And I didn't need to study all of them every single day. I just needed to study the one for the final that that was, was that week. Right. And so right. it's kind of that thing where you're pulling out the knowledge that you've learned throughout that, you know, in this case semester, and then refreshing your, your knowledge on that area. And so you don't need those cue cards with you 24 seven, right? Cause you've already right. reminded yourself what was on them. So if they get lost, you still remember that information and you're going to go in and take your final and you'll be good. Yeah. But when you're preparing for your next final in a different class, you don't have that set of study cards, right? Exactly. If you lose them. And so right. I feel like that it, it fits really well into that same metaphor of just yeah. like, you know, it's, it's your study cards. It's reminding you the things that you already have studied and learned, but it's refreshing your memory because we're human and we don't have, most people don't have the capacity to remember everything indefinitely in the their time. brains. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I, under pressure of monsters shooting at exactly. you. <laughs> exactly. I think that's a great uh, metaphor and also highlights that you and I spent our time in college very differently. <laughs> And I think you're the better for it. Um, <laughs> uh, don't be like me, kids. Um, and then also, too, so as they go up in level, obviously, uh, the amount they can have prepared for the day is going to go up because their intelligence might go up, their level is going to go up. But every time they gain a new level in Wizard, they can add two new spells that they have slots for to their spell book. And so that uh, role play wise, that could be because they found uh, some spells on a scroll or a book inside the dungeon they were just in, or they went to a local library during downtime and they found some more things. Uh, so basically there's these two different tracks of known and prepared as they level up in this class. Right. And let's continue on that vein with the idea of uh, like copying spells into your spell book, because there is like a specific 
kind of flavoring mechanic for that um there is. as well as the idea of you know we kind of alluded to it but what do you do if you lose your spell book or it's right. damaged or destroyed um let's get, yeah. kind of cover that as well yeah and so unfortunately like i don't think i've ever used the copying a spell into the book mechanics ever in 5e uh, really? The replace, yeah, because I'm just like it's it's part of the minutia of fiddling with all the dials and levers of a fictional world that just doesn't appeal to me. Um, but the replacing a book is kind of cool because there's a lot of cool like uh, game hook and story hooks that can go with that. Where now there's a side quest that. Features the wizard because they have to go get a new book or they have to replace the book or rescue it from whoever has it, uh, which is kind of cool. But that being said, um, that basically when you're copying uh, spells into the spell books, um, what you're going to do is for each level of the spell it is. So, like, let's say it's the first level, it takes two hours and costs 50 gold pieces. Right. Because... And the idea there is like you have to practice what you're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like when you're in, in when you're in science class and you have to like perform the experiment and have it go wrong and then try it again to figure out what like you're doing incorrectly and fix it to get it down to a science. Right. Because it's not just like, you know, pulling out your mechanical pencil and some graph paper and copying the spell down. It needs to be done a certain way with the right kind of like acid free, you know, papers and the ink that's not going to degrade over time. And there also might be certain reagents and like weird like eye of Newton stuff that needs to go into the copying of the spell as well. Uh, so yeah, and so a second level spell is going to cost you 100 GP and four hours to do and so on and so forth. Um, so that's expensive. And that's a lot of time. And that's part of why I've never used it. See, we um, actually used it in my campaign and it was really fun because we're in Curse of Strahd right now. Mm -hmm. And it was a very interesting mechanic because it's scarcity, right? The amount of time yes. that they have when things weren't chasing them, they can't really get downtime in the same way. Money yeah. is not a common thing. And so it was this, if you want to learn this thing, which would really help you out in this terrible place you're in you're gonna have to really work for it it can't just like come to you magically and it was actually a really interesting like over the course of weeks that it progressed to try to get this thing done and learn this one spell yeah i like that a lot in, in a campaign like strad you're right the pressure that that campaign constantly puts on players and the scarcity aspect that actually is a great use case i think yeah i completely agree with that yeah, so I mean, I think it's up to the DM, and obviously, if you're in the land of plenty, uh, and everybody has downtime and all of this, like, it's really not relevant mm -hmm. per se. It's just kind of like an extra thing to have to narrate. So, depending on your story, it might be a really great thing to adhere to as a DM, um, or not. Yeah, and just as a fun aside, think about the utter extremes of that, like power word kill. How many words are in that spell? Mm hmm. But it's still going to take you 18 hours <laughs> <laughs> and 450 gold to write that ninth level spell, even though it's a single word. So, you know, there's that. I mean, that kind of makes sense because there's no room to practice your craft. <laughs> yeah. Uh, bring another frog in here. I'm going to test this out. <laughs> Die. 
Yeah. Um, no. Um, yeah. Okay. So Ugh. that's copying. If you want to use that rule, that's rules is written. Uh, yeah. Copying to a spell book. Um, and then there's also technically a mechanic for replacing your book. I like what you said about the plot hooks or the mm-hmm. side questing. I think that that could be really fun. I hadn't really even thought about that. Um, but in addition to that, there are some mechanics for replacing your book, how you have to do it. Because right. it's not just a library book, right? It's a little bit more unique than that for obvious reasons. Right. So most commonly is people who want to make a copy or a backup copy of their book. And so in that case, it's only one hour and 10 GP per level because it's your own handwriting. And hopefully, unless you really are a doctor, you understand your own writing and your own notation. And so it's a little bit easier to do. But if the book is just gone, gone, and you're replacing it from scratch, it's going to be a little more hard, a little more difficult. And you can only copy back into the book the spells you already had prepared in your mind, because the ones you didn't prepare, you lost those note cards. You got to go find new spells to replace those empty pages. So would you have your players in that case basically remove any of those non-prepared spells from their Mm -hmm. character sheet and just be like, well, that's unfortunate, but now you just don't even know those at all. Yeah, I mean, they would know what they lost, but they would have no innate way to replace it. They'd have to go searching. Yeah, and I think like if you wanted to, again, have fun with the rules a little bit as a DM, I might be like, you don't know these, but copying them into the book, if you find them, I might reduce that penalty of the amount of time it takes or the amount of gold it takes because you knew them at one point. And so you still have to go out and search and find a book that has that information to remember and write down. But it's not going to be as difficult, right? So you could kind of scale that according to the situation. Yeah, I like it because there's plenty of things that I know, but I don't like no, no. And I have to go back and look and I can just skim the text and go, oh, yeah, I remember this now. So, yeah, that makes sense to me. I like that a lot. So now that we understand how your spellbook works, let's do a surface level overview of how casting, spell casting works for wizards. Again, we did a deep dive into this in an earlier episode, but let's talk about what it looks like specifically for a wizard in this scenario. Uh, Yeah, so it's it's pretty straightforward. Um, You, if you have a slot of the right level uh, or lower, you can use it to cast that spell. Sometimes upcasting has an effect. But basically, wizards, uh, up until the Artificer was added with Eberron, um, they were the only intelligence-based character in the whole book, uh, and certainly the only intelligence-based full caster. Uh, So uh, intelligence is their spellcasting ability score, and uh, their uh, spell save DC is 8 plus proficiency bonus plus intelligence modifier, Attack modifier, very similar proficiency bonus plus your intelligence modifier. Um, so yeah, pretty straightforward. Um, if there is a um, if there is a material component uh, to the spell, either have that component or be using a arcane focus. As long as the component, the material component, doesn't have a gold cost then you can just replace it with the arcane focus, like a wand or a staff or an orb or or a a rod or something like that. I know as a level one wizard, you get to pick between a components pouch and an arcane Mm -hmm. focus. Do you have a preference having kind of like seen wizards play about which one's the best? Arcane focus for sure. Because it's just a catch-all. It's a a panacea, you know, it just does everything. Whereas a components pouch is really funny because it's just like, it's just a little pouch full of I got a jar of dirt. Yeah, it really is. It's like, okay, I got some, I got some fur in here, some sand. <laughs> There's like a snail shell for some reason, some rope. You either look petals. like a toddler or a serial killer. 
Yeah, or both. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of messy, and I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to do that, you know. And that's why sometimes players get surprised by spell components because they're so used to, especially early on, low level spells. The focus just takes care of it. But a lot of mid range spells have some pretty pricey components and they can get surprised. And if you're also doing the copy of the spell for the GP cost, wow, you're going to be poor real quick. So another like reason college. to go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's another great reason to go adventure. <laughs> you need that dragon sword because you want to be able to cast a six level spell twice. <laughs> Right. But yeah, um, they also have ritual casting, which is kind of cool. So uh, some spells have a tag that says uh, R um, with a little triangle around it. That basically means that you can cast the spell as a ritual, which means you add 10 minutes to its casting time and uh, you can just cast it without expending a spell slot. So this is great for downtime stuff, uh, things like some uh, uh, find familiar um, identify are really Women's common ones. Hut. Yeah, tiny hut. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, where if you just don't want to burn that spell slot, but this is some uh, good preparatory or um, auxiliary spells, you can just do that instead. Mm -hmm. And um, that's kind of it, I think. Yeah. For the uh, spellcasting. So, in a roundabout way, that covers level one wizards right we talked about their build yes. and then we broke down their spell book and their spell casting so you get a be little bit of a better idea how those all fit together mm -hmm. um starting at level two uh you level two yeah Wait. interesting isn't it uh-huh yeah so i was like wait a minute did i read that it's level two it's not level three so starting at level yeah. two you get your subclass is this the only class that does it at no. level two cleric does it at level one <sighs> what okay <laughs> I know. We Tell me about it. Uh, yeah. All right. So level two, you dive into your arcane tradition, which is your subclass, which is what grants you a lot of stuff. We will cover these uh, in um, an Just overview at the yeah. in a little bit because there's a lot of them, uh, and you also get um, a couple. You get one other thing. Um. I let me see. Um, is that it at level two? You just get a picture. That's it. Just arcane tradition. So yeah. So as we talk about just like the base wizard, without talking about their, um, you know, their subclasses, it gets really easy. In fact, we can do this in like a minute. Um, basically, at level two, <laughs> at level two, you get your arcane tradition, which gives you a bunch of cool things. You have ability scores improvements at fourth, eighth, twelfth, sixteenth, and nineteenth, which is pretty standard. Um, and then at level eighteen, you get your kind of capstone—not uh, capstone ability, but one of them—where uh, you can basically choose a first-level uh, wizard spell and a second-level wizard spell that's in your spell book, and you can always cast them at their lowest level without expending a spell slot. Um, and that's it. So you turn so, them into cantrips. Basically, yeah. So you just know magic missile all the time and cast them whenever you want. Ooh, um, that's nice. It is. And then at level 20, you get the real capstone feature, which is signature spell, where you can learn two powerful spells and cast them with a little effort. So you can use two third level wizard spells uh, and make them your signature. They're always prepared, and that doesn't count against uh, other things you have to have prepared. And you can cast them once at third level a day without expending a spell slot. And that recharges at a short or a long rest. So that means That's you can just. Minute. 
Yeah. You were almost, you were there. <laughs> yeah. I was going to further clarify, but I don't need to. So I'm going to say that I, I win. Um, <laughs> I choose to win. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, so you could just like cast fire, <laughs> fireball just cause yeah, I'm not there yet. Sorry. Um, but um, yeah. And you still cast them with a spell slot later, but uh, you, once, once or twice, you can still just do it cause you feel like it. So I know that we've ranked uh, some of the classes in the past about their level 20 kind of capstone ability. How do you feel that wizards rank as far as some of, you know, the different types of options that other classes get? Pretty good, actually, uh, because the fact that they get a pretty good one where, like, like we said, a first and second level spell just become cantrips for you at 18. And then at 20, you get a kind of beefier version of that. I kind of like that tiered kind of... Um, related abilities like 18th and 19th that's really awesome so yeah i'm pretty happy with those actually it seems really it makes, consistent with the class yeah it makes a lot of sense too within the class because some of these we talked about you're we're just like i don't know because you're awesome this happens yeah but with this mm -hmm. one it's like well you've cast these so many times by the time you're at level 18 or level 20 that it's, it's no trivial. wonder that you can do them so quickly, so easily, so fluidly is because repetition and practice, which is kind mm -hmm. of like the name of the game when it comes to wizards in the first place. Yeah, exactly. So, but uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's the base wizard. Uh, it's pretty, it seems simple, but when you realize you have to pick new spells, like every level, that's where leveling That's where your up time goes. Goes, yeah, because I've had people who have typically always played uh, spellcasters, and they're for the first time playing a you know a more martial class, and they're like, ah, oh, leveling up was so easy. This was great. I had to pick out spells and pre-prepare, and da da da. I was like, oh yeah, it actually is pretty easy. Um, so would you recommend if, if if there's a DM that's using the optional rule of feats at those um, ability score improvement levels, because there's quite a few of them. Do you recommend people take the ability score improvement for wizards, or do you recommend that they potentially look at taking mm. feats? It really just depends on what you want to do. There's a couple of cool feats out there for that. Um, I'm thinking of Warcaster in particular, uh, which would be really good. And um, uh, there's always things like Luck, which is you know great for everybody. Uh, there's Tough, which gives you more hit, hit points. Um, and there's also some cool ones in here that'll let you like Eldridge Adept, uh, which lets you kind of, uh, and, and others that let you borrow magical spell casting features or spell lists from other classes if you want to mm. help diversify further. Uh, so you can go and grab Eldridge Blast, which normally only is for the warlock or uh, other ones that let you go and grab hunter's mark which might be incredible um or things where you used to do a little bit of meta magic from the sorcerer so there's some things that are pretty good but typically um you know increase that dexterity increase that intelligence constitution if you have spare time but uh yeah it could go either way really okay so let's take a deep breath and get ready to dive into the 13 different mm -hmm. arcane traditions which are your subclasses for your wizard there are a lot of them there um, are uh, there's eight eight of those eight or nine of them are in the player's handbook alone which is actually yeah, the majority. impressive that's because a lot normally yeah. you get one or two subclasses in the player's handbook uh and then the rest of them are found in other source materials whereas this one mm -hmm. i think it's about half and half with what you get where Right. And the reason for that is, is that there are eight schools of magic. And so there are eight specialty subclasses that concentrate on one of those schools of magic. Uh, 
Um, and then in, when they started making, you know, that supplementary material like Xanathars and others, there were already so many subclasses for wizard, they would minimize or ignore wizards altogether. And only here in the kind of mid to late stage 5e, they started peppering in like one or two in there, including some from the Sword Coast Adventurers Guide, oh, uh, <laughs> our favorite. But um, what I want to do, Casey, is basically is I want to give just a really big overview of the um, the schools of magic subclasses, like School of Abjuration, Conjuration, Divination. But I, I do want to deep dive just a little in the School of Evocation, which is the one that everyone has access to because of the basic free rules. Uh, that you can see online or on D&D Beyond, uh, mm -hmm. just to kind of, because it acts as a good template for all the other uh, school-related subclasses. And then I can do a kind of quick overview of the ones that came in later books, if that's yeah, all right with you. Yeah, so uh, basically School of Evocation is all your blasty, blasty, uh, um, oh, I don't want to die magic, um, real aggro, uh, offensive magic, uh, which is a lot of fun. But um, like all the, the schools- wizard's version of rage. <laughs> It really is. It's just like firebolt, firebolt. It's like Tim, the the the, the enchanter from um, uh, Bonnie Python and the Holy Grail. There are those who call me Tim, <laughs> right? That's the that's the evocation wizard. Um, so basically, all of the guys from the schools here they get this thing at level two that lets them uh, reduce. Uh, by half all the gold and time it costs to copy a spell of their school into their spell book, which for a lot of people who aren't, they're not using that rule, it feels like a little bit of a waste, but there's other mm -hmm. cool things. Um, but that might really help your player in Ravenloft. <laughs> it would have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Evocation Wizards get something called Sculpt Spells. At level two, you can create pockets of relative safety within the effects of your spells. Um, so basically what you can do if you have something that that is an area of an effect spell like fireball for example that uh, you can choose a number of people equal to one plus the spells level so fireball is level three so that's four people um and those creatures will automatically save uh on their uh saving throws against that spell and they would take no damage if they would normally take half damage on a success so you could drop a fireball into a group of friends and foes and choose for the most part, all of your friends to just take no damage. That is You're amazing. making little pockets of safety. Yeah. Like and that you get that at second level. Area of is effect awesome. is 99% is of the discussion when it comes to somebody at the table that's wanting to cast something. It's doing all the measurements to figure out where they can mm -hmm. put something so that it won't hurt the good guys or, you know, oh, well, I can get the tiefling because they have a natural resistance to fire from the fireball, but I can't get this person because it would kill them. Like you would just eliminate all of that concern immediately. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and then at sixth level, they get potent cantrip. Uh, so the damaging cantrips that you do um, uh, affect even creatures that would normally be resistant to it. So when a creature succeeds on a saving throw against your cantrip, the creature still takes half of the cantrip's damage, even if it wouldn't normally do that, um, but doesn't suffer any of the additional effects. So there's a couple of most cantrips, if they have a save like Toll of the Dead, for instance, um, it's it's all or nothing. If you make the save, nothing happens. If you don't make the save, you take the damage. With this, you take half even from a cantrip if you succeed, but no other effect, which is kind of cool. So they can't miss. Mm -hmm. They can only be less effective, which is kind of cool. 
Um, and then at 10th level, they get empowered evocation. So they can add their intelligence modifier to one damage roll of any uh, wizard evocation spell. Oh. Which is not very common. So that's kind of nice. And then at 14th level, which is this subclass's capstone, which is really a lot of fun. At 14th level, they get over channel, where uh, it's like they're going to overclock their hard drive for a second. Um, so a wizard spell of first through fifth that deals damage, you can choose to do maximum damage with that spell. Don't even roll, it's just the max. Is that like a ones per long rest kind of thing? So first time you do it, there's no adverse effect. If you use this feature Ooh. again before you finish a long rest, you take 2d12 necrotic damage. What? 2d12? For each level of the spell. Oh. So, so you can, but that's uh -huh. dangerous. But that's remember, you're a death. wizard. You have a D6 of hit die. You, mm, yeah, really shouldn't do that. Um, immediately after you cast it. So, um, and each time you use this feature before finishing a long rest, and the necrotic damage uh, per spell level increases by 1D12. And it ignores resistances and immunities. You're just dead. Like, were they specifically making it so that you just can't? They want to make they want to give the illusion of hope that you could do this again yeah or you just like, want to be the martyr <laughs> maybe or they just have like a thing worked out with the cleric that listen i'm gonna do i'm gonna say you know jabberwocky and you know that means i'm gonna do something really dumb but it's also gonna be awesome and i need you to resurrect me like right away okay so yeah i'm gonna over channel you know meteor swarm now and good luck so <laughs> yeah so it's pretty cool but wow. uh yeah so that and that's pretty typical of the school of uh subclasses so abjuration is things that block banish and protect um they can do things like give themselves like a little like buffer called arcane ward um they can protect other people with that ward um and uh at 14th level they have advantage on saving throws against spell uh against all spells so oh. they're super yeah. <laughs> nice. So they're super protectors. Uh, conjuration is things that like produce things out of thin air, you know, summoning spells, conjure spells, things like that. Um, they um, at level two, they have minor conjuration uh, where they can make a inanimate object in your hand or on the ground um, that can be no longer than three feet on a single side and can't weigh more than 10 pounds. And it's non-magical and something you've seen before. Um, and it lasts for an hour. So if you wanted, um, someone could argue if you wanted to make a key to get out of a jail cell or something like that. On somebody's yeah. keychain. Exactly. Um, That'd be a fun role play uh, though. Could be like, here, everybody lure the guard over here so I can get a look at his keychain. Oh no, he's facing the other way. Make him turn somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Turn him to the right. No, my, my right, not your right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, they also get um, something called really cool called benign transposition, where basically you can teleport 30 feet. And if you want, and one of your allies is there, you can swap spaces. So, and it's a, and it's an action. So like, if you get into hot water, you could just like tag me in, <laughs> tag, tag in the barbarian <laughs> since you're surrounded by like goblins. And now it's going to be the worst day ever for them. And you get out of there. Um, so you're, bait. so yeah, you could 
Absolutely. There's a lot of really cool strategies with it. Um, and they get some bonuses to concentration things. And then at level 14, any creature that you summon or create with a conjuration spell has automatic 30 temporary hit points. 30 so tip. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's it's really not cool. To sneeze at. Yeah. It's not nothing. Uh, yeah. In fact, it's 30. Um, yes. So, uh, school, sorry, that's a dumb joke. Um, the School of Divination, one of my favorites, actually. Um, this is all about seeing the future and getting, you know, knowledge and things from uh, weird places. Their coolest ability is they have portent. At the beginning of the day, if you finish a long rest, roll 2d20s and record the numbers that you rolled. You can replace any attack roll, saving throw, or ability check made by you or a creature that you can see with one of these rolls. So that means that's friends, really nice because even enemies. if you get a low roll yeah an enemy you could be like no you're gonna have a natural one for your saving throw mm -hmm. and so, you can just say like no i first saw this you're gonna roll a one haha -ha. yeah and um you when you use it it's gone and when you do a new long rest you lose any ones you didn't use and re-roll new ones so yeah okay. so i i may have played a, a longish campaign that was a divination wizard who was also a halfling with the that lucky, lucky. feet mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> how many dice yeah. did you get <laughs> too many um <laughs> well that's appropriate asked, for and you and i asked the dm i was like is this okay they're like yeah sure i'm like okay i'm going to ruin your day just i'm telling you right now i'm going to ruin your day um yeah um then um they can also uh they get some free divination spells at sixth level at 10th level uh they can do some extra things too that give them like more like sensory abilities and at level 14 um you can roll uh three d20s for your portion feature instead of two wow yeah that's a pretty good um, upper hand it is it's it's nuts um so uh school of enchantment this is like ability to bolster uh things people and monsters um you get something called uh hypnotic gaze at second level where basically you can just try to like straight up charm someone uh without using a spell slot uh and they will be incapacitated which is really great um they can uh, later at the sixth level they can uh use their reaction to try and uh charm someone so they don't get hurt uh, at 10th level, um, you can target one extra creature with an enchantment spell that normally only targets one. Oh. Mm -hmm. And then 14th, they have the problematic uh, ability titled Alter Memories. Um, you can cast an enchantment spell to charm one or more creature, and you can alter one creature's understanding um, so that it remains unaware that it was ever charmed. Um, I feel like this is the Gilderoy Lockhart. It really is. Yeah, they're it's charmed and magic. they don't remember. It really, yeah, that's basically what it is. Uh, so that can get weird really quick if you're not careful. Um, <laughs> School of Illusion. This is like, you know, uh, bringing about things that aren't really there. Um, but at second level, you learn Minor Illusion. Um, and it's a bonus cantrip, basically. Uh, and you can do it a little better than most people. Uh, sixth level, you can make your uh, illusions uh, last a little longer than normal. Uh, tenth level, you can make an illusory copy of yourself, uh, which is kind of cool. And then fourteenth, um, when you cast an illusion, you get illusory reality. Um, is when you cast an illusion spell at first level or higher, um, you can make it real for a minute. 
So it has to be a, um, an inanimate, non-magical object. So you could make an illusory bridge, make it real, and you can run across it because it's real for a minute. And then turn that part off and your enemies follow you and they wily oh. coyote all the way down to the gorge. Oh. Um, but the object can't deal damage directly to anyone. The only stuff like what I just is mentioned. Okay. Indirectly, totally okay. So yeah, this is kind of neat. And then School of Necromancy, um, like it sounds like uh, it's about like, you know, death magic, but also there are some resurrection spells and things that are also in this school. Um, so uh, at second level, they get Grim Harvest. Uh, when you kill someone with one of your spells, um, you can you gain, regain hit points equal to twice the spell's level um, and or three times if it was- So hope that you don't kill them with a cantrip. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, sixth level, when you kill somebody, uh, you can just animate dead right there um, and turn them into a zombie or a skeleton. Um, uh, level 10, you get resistance to necrotic damage and your maximum hit point can't be reduced. So if you're hanging out with like uh, whites and ghouls and things that can do things like that, they oh, don't yeah, affect shadow, you anymore. Shadow monsters? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Um, and at uh, level 14, Command Undead, where you can basically wrest control of an undead that's being controlled by someone else, or that it is uh, free-willed and rest it under your control, uh, which is kind of fun. It's like you're just like taking over the marionette strings. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, and then School of Transmutation, changing one thing into another kind of thing. Uh, they get this... Uh, uh, something at level two called minor alchemy, where they can change one thing into another thing. It takes a lot of time. It's really limited, but it's kind of cool. The real cool thing with transmuters, though, is at level six, they get the transmuter stone, the philosopher's stone, if you will, um, where basically uh, it, as long as you have it on your person or if you get to someone else, it can have one of multiple uh extra features that you can choose every day that can give you like dark vision it can reduce it increase your speed by 10 feet give you proficiency in constitution saving throws resistance oh. to some energies things like that uh, and which that's is like really your prepared spells where you have to specifically go through and pick from the list what the stones yes. can do for that day yes exactly um you at 10th level you learn polymorph just because um and you can cast it once without using a spell slot but only on yourself um, with some other restrictions. Uh, and then uh, at level 14, the master transmuter, um, where you can basically um, use all the energy stored in that transmuter stone. And when you do, uh, you can either do a bunch of different kinds of things uh, in the same kind of way where you can remove all curses, diseases, and poisons affecting a creature or cast raise dead spell on one creature or uh, uh, change the age of another creature and make them younger. Not older. Which is, no. Hmm. But it doesn't affect the creature's lifespan. It just makes them look younger. Hmm. So, so that's it, it, You're just like a, a fantasy plastic surgeon. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's the school of transmutation. Um, <laughs> and then, now, yeah, so transmutation is actually the last of the PHB. Yes. Uh, um arcane traditions but mm -hmm. there are a couple more in several other source books as well yeah exactly so there's only uh five others um i'll kind of go backwards so there's war magic which is kind of cool um where you're meant to be you know 
in the battlefield and not so much research. Um, they basically get uh, a thing where they can uh, add a bonus to their AC or saving throws as a reaction. Uh, you also get something called Tactical Wit, where you can add your intelligence modifier to your initiative role, which is kind of cool. Oh, In addition to the dexterity you already get to do. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then also something called Power Surge, where you can kind of store energy whenever you dispel, uh, use dispel magic or counterspell, you kind of gain an extra surge, and then you can use that surge to do extra damage. Uh, when you uh, cast a spell later. Hmm. Um, I, the 10th level, while you're concentrating on a spell, you get a plus two to your AC and saving throws. Oh, that's nice. It is very nice. Um, and then at 14th level, basically that kind of uh, uh, thing from before where you can gain a bonus to your AC or uh, your saving throws, uh, it actually will do some extra things, like do damage to things that try to hurt you. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, so it's really martially based. Uh, it's kind of nice. Uh, they also, I want to say they get some more, I thought they got more um, proficiencies or something, but I think I'm wrong. Yeah, they don't. Um, they just then, seem like they should because of like putting them more aside with that like martial mm -hmm. class in so many ways. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, then there's blade singing, which originally showed up in Sword Quest Adventures Guide, I, I'm pretty sure, but was reworked uh, for Tasha's. It used to be restricted only to elves, but they took that away. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, because I, I've had, I've heard that comment a couple of times. Like, no, it hasn't been elven restricted for a while, actually. Um, but basically, they, they're kind of like the war magic, except they're all about, well, the blade song. So when they have a melee weapon, um, which they get more proficiencies with, uh, they can kind of, as a bonus action, start this like capoeira thing that they're doing uh, and moving the blade around, which gives them the ability to have uh, an AC boosted by their intelligence modifier, plus 10 to their walking speed, advantage on acrobatics checks, and a bonus uh, to constitution saving throws when maintaining- All at the same time? Yes. Wow. They, they gain a bonus to their constitution uh, concentration spell checks equal to their intelligence modifier. And, but you can only use it a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. Okay. Uh, so it lets you be a bit of a more of a martial kind of wizard, which is kind of neat. Uh, at sixth level, they can uh, actually attack twice instead of just once. And you could choose to do a cantrip in place of one of those attacks. So that's kind of rad, especially if you, you know, you have like something like Elder's Blast that has multiple rays and mm -hmm. you can also can attack with your sword or staff or whatever. Um, and uh, later on, they can absorb some, uh, some damage with using spell slots. And at 14th level, you can add your intelligence modifier to the damage of your melee weapon while your blade song is active. So there reminds me were... a little bit of the uh, Robert Danny Jr. Sherlock Holmes, mm -hmm. where Very it's much. like using logic to calculate precisely the angle at which you are hitting with your weapon to deal the most damage in that scenario, right? So it's using that intelligence, but it's helping you hit harder, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the next two come from the Critical Role book, which uh, I know some people use, some people don't use. 
but I'll go over them briefly. There's uh, chronergy magic, time magic, and uh, graviturgy, which is gravity magic. Um, but uh, the time magic um, at second level, basically as a reaction, uh, you can force a creature to re-roll um, a d20 roll, like abilities, attacks, saves, that kind of thing, and then uh, choose which one they do. Uh, they can also add their intelligence modifier to their initiative rolls. Um, they can do some things where they can try to like hold people in like stasis, which is kind of neat. Um, at level 10, uh, that whenever they use a spell slot of fourth or lower, uh, they can like freeze the spell in place and then up to an hour and then unleash it later. So they can turn anything into a delayed X. So instead of de de delayed blast fireball, they can do a delayed blast, you know, uh, I don't even know, like a uh, scorching ray or something, which is kind of neat. Mm. So they can have it like ready to go and still um, go for it. Um, in fact, do they do it as a bonus action? Yeah, I think so. I feel like that's the, like, how long should we put the timer for on the bomb before we get out of here? Mm -hmm. Right? You're, like, setting this thing to happen. Everybody leaves, and then the fireball erupts in the middle of the boiler room. Or <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So it's a way to, like, kind of, you know, prep and be ready. Um, and they also, at 14th level, they can choose a creature within 60 feet of them. Uh, when they make one of the, the classic D20 rolls, they can use the reaction to ignore the roll on the side, whether the number rolled is the minimum needed to succeed or one less than that number. So basically they can make sure it to be an automatic success or an automatic failure. Um, but when you use it, you gain a level of exhaustion. So there's oh that. Oh my. Mm -hmm. Which is no mess. One level's um, not bad, but once you get up to two or more, you start to really be struggling. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not as familiar with these, and so I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to do my best here. But uh, the gravity magic one, uh, they can make uh, things way less or way more, which can impede their movement or help their movement. Uh, they have something called gravity well at sixth level uh, where you can, like, pull uh, people or, or, or creatures to a specific spot um, if they fail in the save. I feel like the, bar bar the barbarian is just like, throw them to me, I'll catch them. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes to a curve uh, um uh violent attraction um interesting use uh 10th level basically when so someone tries to attack you you can use a reaction uh to uh, increase the attack's velocity causing the attack uh target to take an extra d10 of damage of the weapons type so they can buff other people trying to attack okay. enemies okay I wasn't making that clear at first. Basically, when you can see an attack within 60 feet of you against someone, you can make that attack do more damage because you're making the sword heavier or whatever, and it levels up as you level up as well. Um, and then the capstone for this one's kind of cool. It's called the Event Horizon, which is from Black Holes. Um, so for a minute, um, whenever a creature hostile to you starts its turn within 30 feet of you, it has to make a strength save against your DC, and if it fails, it takes 2d force damage and its speed is reduced to zero. Um, and if I want to save, it halves their speed and they have as much damage. Uh, but basically he's just like making like a 
you know, a gr heavy gravity all around them and makes it hard for everyone else to do stuff. Kind of cool. Hmm. Um, That's, that'd be a fun mechanic to like narrate as a DM. Oh yeah, totally. Um, but, uh, and then the last one is from Tasha's as well called Order of Scribes. This is a new one, but basically um, you can make a tiny quill in your hand. Um, it doesn't require ink. Um, it helps you copy spells faster and you can erase anything you've already written uh, with it by using the back feathery part. It's just, you're like an eraser. <laughs> <laughs> Not making this up. Um, and you have an awakened spell book. Oh my gosh. Um, so you can Wait, is that make like an awakened shrub or an awakened tree. Mm -hmm. It's a sentient living spell book. It's a book, book that was made from the trunk of an awakened tree. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Um, so uh, yeah, it has sentient. So you can use it as your spell casting focus for your wizard spells. Put me down, put me down. Hold on, I gotta cast a spell. Um, when you cast a spell, uh, a wizard spell uh, with a spell slot, you can temporarily replace its damage with a type uh, that appears in another spell that's in your book. So you can just like change out damage types. Um, and when you cast a wizard spell as a ritual, you can use the spell's normal casting time rather than adding 10 minutes to it because uh, a bookie, your magical spell book is helping you, I guess, uh, but only once um, per day. And then manifest mind. You can conjure forth the mind of your book as a bonus action while it's on your person. Um, it manifests as a tiny spectral object. Oh, my shoulder angel. Um, and it's intangible, doesn't occupy space, spreads dim light in a 10 foot radius. And it can see Knowledge and hear. Will light your way. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, absolutely. It has dark vision. It can see and hear. It can telepathically share with you what it sees and hears. Um, and you can cast spells through it like it's a familiar. I really want this to be a couple's character. Or just like friends, like where one of them's a big D&D &D person and it's like the guy. And then like the partner is like not really into it, but they're coming along because, you know, their significant other loves it so much. And they can just play the book. And just like... Oh my god. <laughs> That's what this is. It would be so fun. That is rad. I need to look more at this. Uh, at 10th level, you can make uh, scrolls really easily. And then at 14th level, it says one with the word. Your connection to the Awakened Spellbook becomes so profound, your soul has become entwined with it. While it's on your person, you have advantage on all Arcana checks. Um, and if you take damage, you can prevent all that damage with a reaction. Um, and then roll 3d6. The spell book temporarily loses spells of your choice that have a combined spell level equal to that roll or higher. Whoa. So the spell book becomes the giving tree, basically. That's insane. I gotta look at this more. That's buck wild. That I feel is like so I want a mechanic than... in there where like if you take damage above a certain amount though, like your spell your spell book takes damage especially if your souls are entwined like it loses pages or it starts to rip or the binding becomes frail mm -hmm. well yeah kind of that's what it does um basically in, until you finish 1d6 long rests you're incapable of casting the lost spells even if you find them on a scroll or in another spell book so... your book is just angry at you and so it makes them seem like gibberish <laughs> 
No, it's just that it's it's injured and needs time to heal. I don't think it's punitive. I think it's just the consequences of letting well, your so spellbook take like, the hit. Even if you find it on a scroll or something, I feel like your your book is just like grumpy that it doesn't feel well and doesn't want you mingling with yeah. other books in the meantime because ah. it's hurt. You're like, no, you can't. No. I did this for you. You can't just yeah. go off and, and fraternize with other scrolls. <laughs> I like that too, but the way I read it is like, it's more because your souls are entwined. The book doesn't know, so you don't know. Because you're, no, yeah. you're entwined, right? So it's it's a shared some total a thing. Way. Yeah, I kind of like that. That's a, that's a wild class. I had not looked at that one before today. I need to look at that some more. But there's all the subclasses for your wizards. But um bum. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of them to choose from. We obviously you said that two of probably the first choices for your subclasses are going to be evocation as well as you said divination. Right? Was your favorite? Yeah, they're a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I think both of us are wanting to play Order of the Scribe Wizards now mm -hmm. after knowing a little bit of this. Um, what advice or thoughts do you have for people who have maybe never played a wizard, maybe are just like strictly martial characters that are a little intimidated by the spell sheets and all of that stuff that are wanting to dabble in wizards, or people that are new to D&D in general that are kind of figuring out what this class is all about? What are some of maybe the pitfalls that you see often or confusion um, or things that you might be able to share words of wisdom about. Yeah, my recommendation typically is that wizard and a lot of the spellcasting classes uh, as well aren't necessarily great for beginning players, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it just because there's a lot of options. There's a lot of mechanics that all of a sudden come into play. But if you have someone like your DM or another player who's used to this mechan these mechanics, to come alongside you and help you awesome go for it um don't just because the it's the deep end of the swimming pool doesn't mean you don't know how to swim it's going to mm -hmm. be okay but just spend a little bit more time uh on level ups really thinking about what you want to do and also really just know what your spells do understand how they work you don't have to know everything just know what those six spells do for sure and become the master of them. So basically treat your wizard spell uh, character sheet the same way that your wizard character would their spell book and memorize it, know it, make it uh, inherent and intrinsic to your knowledge. And it'll go a lot better. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it can just be difficult because there's just a lot to know early on, but it's not impossible. Right. Um, I think too, kind of playing off of that, that suggestion, um, actually making like uh, study cards, the three by five cards mm -hmm. with what your spells are, what they do, or they do sell like pre-made ones that they are specific do. for wizards that you could get that are just the wizard spells. Um, having those, I think would be really helpful because then you're not going to feel overwhelmed as you're trying to flip through all of the pages in the PHB, uh, trying to find yes. that spell to understand what the range is on it and the casting time and all of these little details. It's right forefront in front of you. And you could also just hand it to the DM at that point really easily and say, hey, this is what it does if you're not quite sure what that means. And so yeah. setting yourself up for success with knowing this is a complicated class, but giving yourself the tools that you need before you even start to make sure you're successful at the table when you're ready to play. Absolutely. If you don't have enough dice to make it through your game after every single set gets put in dice jail, make sure you check out the critical dice and their endless bag of dice. 
You can get a new set of dice delivered to your doorstep every single month for as low as 7 bucks a month. Compendium listeners can actually also get a special offer by using the code COMPENDIUM, C-O-M-P-E-N-D-M, for 50% off of your first month of dice. Just go to thecriticaldice.com and use that code at checkout. We hope you guys enjoyed listening to our conversation this week. If you haven't done so already, it would really help us out if you would take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. The Compendium is also on Patreon. So if you like listening, that is a great way to help contribute to the content that we create. New episodes are available every Tuesday and Friday or Monday and Thursday if you're a patron. And you can always keep up with us between episodes by following us on social media. Just look up the compendium, that's C-O-M-P-E-N-D-M, on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Jason also shares a bunch of great content and plot hooks on his page, The Critical Dice, so make sure that you check him out and follow him as well. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will see you guys next time.